we all have narcissistic traits in our identity. The yeah. problem is when the trait that has to be in the ecosystem of all the different traits of the identity become a fixated personality, and then it becomes an identity rather than a trait of an identity. Welcome to the Dr. Espen podcast, where we explore the latest in quantum science, personal development, consciousness, and spirituality, health, as well as business and money mastery. Join me as I interview experts from all over the world, sharing the most incredible stories of transformation. This is where we provide you with the exact tools and coaching activities you need to expand your consciousness in each of the eight areas of your life. For more info on our events, programs, coaching, etc., go to drespen.com for the full quantum experience. Welcome, friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Espen podcast. I am joined today by David Verdesi. This is going to be a very interesting conversation about how to reach uh, peak performance or full potential, but also really why we're searching this and what really that we may be searching underneath the surface. This is an exciting conversation I've known uh, of David's work for quite some years now. He has spent 30 years traveling the world, extensive research and gained a lot of wisdom into traditions such as Christianity, understanding the basics of what this means and where power or potential could come from in that regard. Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Kabbalism, which is really the Kabbalah, which is exciting to see if we can have some time to discuss that. But also anthropology, psychology, neurobiology, quantum physics, and of course, a deep introspection into the human psyche. Who are we? What are we? Why are we here? What's the ultimate purpose? And there's some high-level conversations coming our way. So I'm really excited to spend this time with you, David. As I briefly mentioned to our listeners and viewers, you've spent over 30 years traveling the world. And from my research on you, I've seen that you've taken a lot of time out to study some of the masters across traditions, religions, areas of the world, and you've picked up some very, very special and powerful tools. I'm excited for this conversation. Let me just first to say, welcome, David. How you doing, man? Thank you very much for having me. And yes, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Thank you so much. That's exciting. So, David, my first question to you is, what inspired you to search the world for superhumans? It is a very good question. Let me say that what I thought was the reason and what I saw and see that is the reason for many people to search for some kind of personal power. It is not the reason, the real reason, let's say like this. So you start on a journey thinking, well, I'm doing this because of this, this and that, and everything is going to clean your mind and you believe it, and that's your truth. And, and it's quite interesting because years later you discovered that that was not really it. That was sort of a a story that you concocted uh, to justify something deeper, but let me let me ask a bit more directly. So, uh, <clears throat> well, um, everything would say started uh, um, from fairly precocious memories of, for, for better, sort of for lack of better words, of past lives. Okay, I was very young; I was maybe four, six, four years old, five years old. And these very vivid memories of very consistent memories of things that I could have not known. I was born in Italy, 
in a context where nobody knew about, you know, Buddhism or Hinduism. There was, you know, there was no internet, there was no smartphones, there was no Google. You just don't, wouldn't see these things, right? And, and this very haunting, uh, not just memories, but sort of remembering what I was doing, how I was doing it, who I was doing it with, and, and these continuous instructions that I was receiving in uh, both dreams, but also very vividly in, in, with my open eyes, sort of, you know, this, this very vivid vision that was sort of bring me away from this reality. That probably was really the beginning of it. And well, then uh, along with that in parallel, I mean, I was raised in a priest school, you know, sort of. So logically, every morning before class, they would bring you to church to pray. And mine, that my, the person that I grew up with, with was not neither my mother nor my father, but my grandmother, was a total atheist, okay? So it's not that at home I, well, I had reinforcement of any kind of religious belief. So I was going to school just because it was a very good school and, you know, long story, but I didn't really go as, as a believer. So I had to just sort of sit through the church session, let's say like this, right? But these, again, unexplainable kind of mystical experiences, uh, visions of light and voices, uh, which could hardly really be explained, they made me ask questions, right? And, and, and they gave me a, a, a faith like only a child can have, right, uh, that for you is real. You know, I was seeing all these uh, masters. I remember how to meditate and you know, I already know how to do certain things. And, you know, I would tell my grandmother everything that I see in my vision and how I was instructed by these, these teachers in, in my visions to do this and this and that. And uh, I show her things. And then going, you know, whenever I was going to school, I, I would have this, you know, mystical experiences with the music in the church. And and so for me, it was it was a, a fact that, the, the, the line, the, the boundaries of the barrier between the waking world and, and, and another or other realities uh, was very fluid. And, and somehow for me, it was normal to have access to it, right? And communicate with it, retrieve information. And so logically, I discovered that whatever I thought was for me natural w- was not very common amongst other children. And so and, you know, and as a child, you're very enthusiastic and you talk about certain things and people look at you and it's like, well, you know, are you all right? So I guess that probably the journey, at least on a, on a superficial level, started, well, one, because first and foremost, because these visions were very demanding. So I would see teachers that would call me and, and point me specific places uh, I just had to go. And it was very difficult to explain and to tell, right? You know, I know that this place is there. It looks like this, and this person is there waiting me. So there was a sense of urgency that I had to go and see these people. The second point was probably, you know, trying to convince or prove to others and to myself and to others that, that I was not crazy, right? That it's like, uh, you know, I, I I see these things, and they're not my imagination, right? And you know. yeah. so, it probably was a bit of a combination of these two. Then, of course, again years later, I, I I discovered that there was a much probably deeper level to the old impulse, to the old need that propelled me into this journey. And also, to tell you the truth, my journey was never really looking for let's call them superhumans. 
that's a bit of a catchy title or a catchy word that some smart producers came up with, but it was never really what my journey was about. It was like, incidentally, you know, I have seen many of these things and, and I have sifted through the, let's say, the real and the not real, but he was never really the focus of my, of my journey. That's good to hear. Tell us what was your focus? I think many people are interested now and I think this is really shining a light on what I'm getting from this, David, is, you know, when we have this desire or intention to become superhuman, why? What's the desire behind the desire? What's the need that's not being met? Is it that of the ego, of the mind? Is it that of the spirit? I would love to know what was the real drive behind what you were doing and what you were seeking. If it was not for becoming superhuman, uh, what was it? Well, I mean, again, for me, it was a matter of, of closing a guest up. There was a these visions were, were really haunting and and uh, to the point of not being disturbing, but they were like really consistent. And so I just I just had to do it. You know, I, I just and it was it was such a an inner drive. Nothing else was interesting. Nothing else was interesting. For me everything else was completely irrelevant. I only had thoughts and desire to sit and meditate and, you know, to do certain practices and reconnect with what I know I knew and I had to complete, right? Yeah. And the ultimate sense of it, well, logically was brought about these mystical experiences, these early mystical experiences in the church, you know, the sense of knowledge of our true nature, of, of calling that reconnection with the divine, knowing that that is you, you know, and, and sort of to, to experience yourself as that is the only real reason why you were born in this body. Oh, Everything I love this. It, you know. Yeah, let's let's go deeper on this, David. Share, please. Yeah. This is great. Well, you know, that, that's, that, that is really it. I mean, you know, years later, I came to define it in, in some sort of uh, lectures that I gave, you know, as the, I call them the Darwinian imperatives of uh, evolution. And one of these imperatives is the imperative of transcendence. Okay. Yep. So we are wired to have transcendental experiences. And, and, and when I say that it's a Darwinian imperative, it means that we are psychologically and biologically driven to it. Okay. Yep. So we need it. We need it to be in a state of, of to thrive. Okay. And it's like, Logically, we have always, as, as humanities across different cultures, you know, maintained that there was a body of knowledge uh, or, or bodies of knowledge in the different cultures that would allow a person to have moments of transcendence. And this is a need that we have as much as, you know, a need for psychological health, just like affection and love and care. All right. Mm -hmm. So we need to have sparse moments of transcendence here and then in order to be well, okay, psychologically well. And again, as a child, I didn't really formulate this. I just knew that was the only thing that I was interested in and everything else wasn't. And so I was telling my grandmother, I want to go to the mountains and meditate, not even to temples or monasteries. My, my dream was to just sit in the mountains alone and, and enter in the state of connection and communion and that is it 
I did it because, I mean, I wasn't only traveling for 30 years, just jumping, you know, between countries or, or jungles or anything. I actually sat in the mountains, in the jungles for months or years at a time. I did totally about nine years of retreats, like hardcore. Wow. And whenever I was in these retreats where you don't talk, you don't really see people or, or anything, I felt most happy. And it was always very difficult to come back, you know, and sort of, you know, reintegrate with, with all the game of life because I, I said, well, the game of life to me only has one point and one purpose, to know and experience yourself as that, which you are at all times. And all the game of interaction with identity and personality is, uh, well, entertaining, it's, it's important, it's useful, of course, but yeah. isn't... It's not the point of life, at least of my life, right? So when later I discovered that we have this inwired need to experience transcendence, and it's interesting because not just we as humans, okay, but animals, dolphins, they go and poke. A pufferfish. Pufferfish, right, okay. So you, you have dolphins that go and, and, and poke the pufferfish so that when they are stung, they have these moments of ecstasy. You have elephants and monkeys that go and eat these specifically rotten fermented fruits because they get drunk. Okay, you have goats that love to inhale the smoke of certain bushes when they burn that have, you know, DMT content in it. And, hmm. you know, and the list goes on and on and on. It's like the search for states of moments of transcendence is it's wired in the biological system of, well, at least of mammals. And I would not be surprised also we can find it across other, you know, species, but at least for mammals, it's wired in us, right? And then you go and see that, well, I mean, we actually have an endocannabinoid system inside our body, and we have a production of, of dimethyltryptamine and, and uh, inside yeah. our system, right? So evolutionary, we have all the tools, again, at the very physical, biological, you know, level, to experience transcendence. Well, because we need, it's an imperative, we need, we are driven to have these moments of transcendence. And what happens is that if they are frustrated or if they are not educated, well, then we look for it in, in not healthy ways or in self-destructive ways, right? And I don't need to go and make examples so it, I think it's pretty clear, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and so the drive that young people have to transcend, you think of rapes and, and parties and celebration and alcohol and distracting behavior and adrenaline and, and car races and whatever, okay? The actual primal drive, it's healthy, okay? It's, it's just that it's misguided because, you know, again, we, we didn't really figure out a way, okay, to do it. So then I think it's, the reason why we search for that state is that, well, first, because we are wired for it or any transcendental state. Uh, second, and this is a bit more of a philosophical statement, uh, is because once we are in that state, and if, if you have done psychedelics, or I don't know if anyone in the has done psychedelics, you know, once you are in the state of connectedness, you know that that's the natural state of being, right? And you say, well, you know, yeah. I'm always connected. It's only when my mind becomes sort of imprisoned in, in, in the little boundaries of, the, of this 
flesh casket, right? I experienced this sense of separation, diversion, and so forth and so on, right? And yeah, so that's probably our, our two important statements here. One is that we are wired for transcendence. Second is that once we are in the state of communion and connection, we realize that that state of interconnectivity where we experience ourselves not as diverse, different, and separated, but as united and one, it's for us natural. We intuitively know that is right. Doesn't matter what are your religious beliefs, if at all. You can be agnostic, agnostic, doesn't matter, atheist. I have guided many people to go through psychedelics experiences, and, and I had all sorts, scientists, atheists, religious people, and doesn't matter what you know, your belief system is, once you experience the state of connectivity, you intuitively know that yeah. it's right, that it's true, right? And, and, and you bring back from it something valuable that then brings more calmness, more, more, more openness, more, more love, more, more justice into your life, right? More awareness into your life. So that's probably the second thing. And the third one, which is also very important, is that we search for, let's call it spirituality. Okay, I, I now will equate this experience of transcendence with, with spirituality because um, at the basic level, which is not probably the truest sense of it, but at the basic level, whenever you are talking to people about spirituality, the association is with some state of transcendental experience, okay? Mm -hmm. And again, I nowadays probably would not agree with this definition of spirituality, but I know that that's what sort of catches immediately, you know, people's mind. And so the third element of why we search for spiritual experiences, whichever they may be, but anyway, state of transcendence that then give us even extraordinary abilities and powers and visions and, 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 and forecast and whatever is it, right? Well, it's because we are propelled by a profound suffering that we are trying to escape. And, and this is probably, we are so profoundly disempowered in certain areas of our being, disconnected that we escape because it's unbearable, okay? And so we, we, we cancel it, we block it, and, and we try to escape into, you know, the beauty of feeling connected with everything because, of course, it's more natural, right? Yeah. And, and that, I think, is the great danger of, of spirituality and spiritual experiences, which, again feed into a pattern of escape from reality, become a form of, of escapism, okay? And then there is a fourth element, which is we are driven to a sense of being potent, of being powerful, because we are profoundly disconnected and disempowered within because of certain traumas, because of, anyway, suffering, conflicts that we have inside. And... And the search for becoming powerful or potent or special, it's uh, 
the arising of the narcissistic identity. Yeah, and I so totally see that. You would find that uh, the majority of uh, masochists, sadists, and narcissists are actually found exactly in spiritual-driven groups of community. Okay. And so this one is a little bit the 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 dangerous side of 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 spirituality or of searching for the transcendent or wanting to biohack yourself to perfection because you see the fantasy of perfection okay and that's what really under the biohacking movement there is uh, i will be optimized i will be whatever more performant i will be better faster stronger younger whatever is it okay is the fantasy of perfection which again is a narcissistic fantasy and it, it can be integrated in an healthy psyche but it can also not be integrated in an healthy psyche and again feed into a narcissistic identity which then is probably counterproductive okay and because you create bubbles of realities um where you are perfect you are potent you are optimized you are performant and but you are a psychopath you know, unable to really love and connect. Okay. So, you know, I hope that this one gives an answer. So we touched about, you know, four or five main elements in this uh, yeah. search and in this drive. And, and, and I can tell you very honestly that I went through all five of them. Okay. And, and the journey, it's, it's not like black and white or well, you are only doing it for this or for this or for this or for this. It's shades that, that kind of interweave with each other, all right? So mm -hmm. there is a bit of this into the mix and there is a bit of that. And a different phase of your life, one element is a bit more dominant. So you go through the narcissistic phase of your development as a human being, and it's fine, okay? It, it, it's not to be shamed, because the development of the narcissistic persona, it's fundamental in the healthy development of the psyche. You know, yep. you need to fall in love with yourself. The, the myth of Narcissus is uh, the person that sees the reflection of him or herself uh, and say, wow, I'm beautiful. Okay. And so you fall in love with the image of yourself. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with it. It is important. And so many people have a skewed perception of narcissism, thinking that it's only negative. So it's important that you no, kind of, no, 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 yeah, no, that. That, 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 that would be a terrible mistake to say so. We all, we all have narcissistic traits in our identity. The yeah. problem is when the trait that, is, that has to be in the ecosystem of all the different traits of identity become a fixated personality, and then it becomes an identity rather than a trait of identity. Yeah, well, okay, so... You know, narcissism is perfectly fine. We all have it. We need it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but it has to be well integrated in the totality of the persona. And so the problem with people attracted to spiritual practices, and in this sense, biohacking, which is the spiritual practice is the sense of transcendence. Biohacking is the sense of power and control over time over your body, over the perception that you have yourself. So it's, it's a sense of control and power, right? So the two sides of the coin, they, you have to be careful not 
to feed into this narcissistic identity because it can backfire, right? So you enter into, let's say, the spiritual journey to eventually transcend or lose some of these narcissistic traits, okay? Mm -hmm. And there is a beautiful, beautiful expression that say that every time that we love and that we fall in love, we lose some of our narcissism, okay? And and so it has to be well balanced, okay? Nothing wrong to go through that phase, nothing wrong to sometimes have elements of it weaved into the totality of your reasons, of your drives, or your purposes. It's okay. But it represents the teenagehood level of, of psychological development of a person. So whereas in a teenager, it's normal, it's, it's even advocated, okay, falling in love with one's own image, with one's own body, with one's own sense of power, Okay, in an adult person, it's it's dissonant. There is something wrong if an adult person is still fixated in his narcissistic persona, right? So I see a lot of people into this, again, spiritual kind of search or into this biohacking or anyway self-improvement self or performance field that are, although they are grown-up individuals, but they are stuck at the psychological level still at this teenager state where the narcissistic persona is dominant. And so the real reason why they do what they do, okay, it's tainted, okay, it's unaware, okay? So there is why you are telling yourself and others that you do what you do because of this, this, and that, but actually you are not aware that the reason why you're doing it is because you are propelled by some deeply ingrained and unresolved conflicts and trauma within yourself okay yeah i get it Dude, this is brilliant and i think it really comes from the the seed in which it is born right and if i can kind of paraphrase what i'm seeing is for a lot of i would imagine unintegrated is what comes through for me and also unconscious individuals that need for or search for superhuman potential transcendence empowerment power in general would come from the void of not feeling good enough being enough or from the ego rather more of as an integrated search for love. Is that about a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very important to question the reasons. And the mind would suggest to you, well, I'm doing it for this and this very noble reason. I want these powers to help others, to because it will bring me closer to God, because you see like a stepping stone to something greater, to a sense of communion. Those are all lies. Okay. Those are all lies. But those lies are so strong and true to your mind, the story, the narrative that you have created, okay, that they are very hard to break and dissolve. Okay. And and just yesterday actually I, I had another sort of live and <laughs> I discussed on, on this topic that Whenever people tell me, you know, I want to become a healer, I want to heal people. While there is, of course, nothing wrong with having the vocation of being a doctor and saving lives, but the idea of being the healer, okay, 99% stem from 
not really desire noble fantasy that the person says that they have, but it's actually coming from something a bit darker. Okay. And mostly sense of impotence, sense of inability to resolve and, and you know their own life, sense of profound guilt and shame over events that have happened. And so it's a sublimation and a compensation. Whenever someone tells you, I want to be powerful, have superpowers, or I don't know, be able to do this, this, and that, to be a healer, that person, because I want to help others, and, and it's, it's very demonstrative, it's like a declaration, and you, you shout it out loud to the four corners, everybody needs to hear that you have these very noble intentions. Well, that person needs to take a very, very deep and hard look inside themselves. And the narcissistic persona would not allow it. There would be great defense in looking yeah. deep of why you have really that need. And so you have to go through your journey, right? And, and one day, eventually, you know, you might be able to actually see and know why you did it, why you had that, that need, why you had that desire of control, of power, of I can save you, I can do things for you, right? That's good. The sense of being, the sense of being appreciated, you know. Yeah. Would you say, David, that it would often come from a place of not feeling good enough, or a place of wanting to compensate, like a savior complex thing? If I help others, then I feel better about myself. It's it's a sublimation. It's a sublimation, yeah. and and again, a lot of spiritual practices very often lead. To this, to use the spiritual experience as a sublimation for something that is missing, that you are unable to deal with in reality. And again, it all boils down to, you know, health, uh, wealth, and relationships. You know, generally, these these three very apparently banal uh, motivations, drivers. Okay, it's really boiled down to that. And so there is in one of these three very primitive sphere, there is something uh, profoundly unresolved or conflictual, right? And again, I mean, the journey is a journey because sometimes you have to go through that sublimation. You have to go through that narcissistic phase. You have to go through, try to be empowered and feel special because you have some special knowledge or some special abilities to make you feel good and confident in order to then go and really deal with what's underneath. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? So th- there is no wrong in all of these, okay? It's more a reflection on, on what was my journey, what I, what I discovered, you know, through the years, that, yes, there was some element that was very pure, that was very clear, and there were other elements that, that weaved into it, which in the beginning I didn't see. I couldn't see because when you are young, you just don't have the structure to be able to reflect on on the drives of your suffering, of your traumas, of your conflict, of your subconscious, right? It's something that it takes years just to become aware of it, right? And so again, there is no wrong. It's just a reflection, okay? What was, was my journey, and then after I've seen it inside myself, well, logically, I started to see it you know, outside. Okay. 
Thank you for this. Honestly, and I know this can be certainly challenging for the mind or for the ego, if that's a thing we want to call it, whatever, when we really take this opportunity to reflect on the deeper intention behind the intention, the deeper desire or drive behind the desire to be special, to be successful, to be healers, to be impactful, to be saviors in whatever way, shape or form. I really like to this and perfect. I think, yeah, go ahead. To be perfect, to be potent and powerful. You know, to, to have a perfect body and then a super performant mind and always have positive, good emotions and be able to do everything through life and be motivated is the same fantasy. It's a fantasy of power. It's a fantasy of perfection. And, and again, there, is, there are good elements in it because you speak of ego, which is a word that I tend not to use um, because it carries a... a, a a stigma and an unref, I don't know how to say it. Let's say they carry the stigma. So I rather don't use this word, but you know, if we use it in a very strictly uh, psychological, psychoanalytical sense, you know, the ego has two modes of existence. It's either it feels potent and that's healthy, okay, or it's depressed. So is this called the Thanatos drive, the dead drive? So for the ego to feel potent, mm-hmm. it is important. We cannot underplay the importance of the ego and the need that the ego has to feel potent. Yeah. Okay. Because otherwise, the death drive, you know, pulls it. And so the ego is constantly uh, sort of, you know, pulled between these two forces. Okay. It's called Eros and Thanatos. So Eros is the erotic desire that is the appetite for life, and you feel potent, sexually potent. And, and mentally, emotionally potent, and physically potent. And then you have the Thanatos drive, that is the dead drive, okay, that is that pulls down. So the ego, again, it's not a negative thing. The ego is a very important thing in, 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 in the person's development of, of, of an healthy psyche, okay? And, and it is important for the ego to feel potent, okay? The, there is nothing wrong with it. The, the issue always is in the totality of the psyche ecosystem, how each of the elements is, let's say, connected to everything else. Because if it's out of place, it starts to overgrow. Okay, uh-huh. so let's, let, let's use the analogy. I always use the analogy of, of, of the microbiome. So we all have a flora, okay, and, and candida. We all have candida. And candida is actually part of the flora and is important. Okay, it's part of the flora. But if it starts to overgrow, it becomes a problem. Okay, now it's a very sort of banal, simple analogy, uh, but I think that you get the gist of it. And so the ego and, and, and the narcissistic element of our persona and, and anything else, they are part of the psychic flora, okay, yeah. of the ecosystem of the psyche. There is nothing wrong with it. They are important elements. They have a reason to be there. So you shouldn't try to eradicate them. Rather, understand their role, their position. And so if you, and that's, I think, we go to a deeper understanding of what really spirituality is, or to a certain degree, maybe biohacking is, it's have a deeper understanding of how this ecosystem works. That's where I think that there is there is still 
a lack of understanding mm. how the larger picture of the cyclic ecosystem really works, so that the different elements in it are properly working, each of these elements has a place, has a role, okay? And if they are integrated and working properly as, as a whole, then the person, the totality of the person thrive, and then there is an healthy development of the psyche, there is an healthy development of the identity, of the persona, of the ego, even of the narcissistic traits of the ego, okay? And so, and then the spiritual, let's call it journey, that famous imperative to transcend or, or the need to feel potent and powerful, well, become healthy rather than, and it yeah. leads to a place of love, okay? Which is always, I believe, the ultimate test. If whatever you are doing leads you to a place of love, of becoming a more loving person, are you able to build healthy relationships, okay? And it, reflect, it reflects with harmony in your life. Okay, well, you generally know that you are in a good, you're going in a good direction, right? This is really good. I, I like this. I think what I'm feeling here a lot more that you just mentioned also is the integrated parts. So for those listening and watching, taking the moment now to go back and reflect on this, maybe watching it again and taking some notes on where does this feel? What feels right for you? What parts are integrated? What parts are overinflated? I even saw like a cancer growth when you have one part of the psyche, say the, the narcissistic trait as it grows and it gets too big, that's going to take dominance, which is of course then unintegrated or unhealthy, you know, not not coherent, et cetera. But if we can review all the parts or, or more of the aspects of it and really go to integration accordingly, I think this is, this is a really well-discussed self-introspective exercise, David. Thank you very much. I've got a question for you. In, on the topic of transcendence, then you've taken this path. You're sharing, you know, thirty years of experience with us in in this short interview. What is then? And I understand there's no right or wrong answer, and everyone's so different. But if a person had pure intentions, and this person wanted to transcend, as it is a natural, innate part of our beingness, you know, for me, I call it coming home, when we can integrate all parts of ourselves and remember who and what we are. What would you say would be for the listeners and viewers out there, kind of a true aspect of transcendence, if there was such a thing to aspire to, not towards perfection, but towards perhaps purification or transcendence in itself, what would you say some of the things that we would look out for would be for true transcendence? Well, uh, it is important to understand that transcendence as a drive meant uh, to be short and momentary. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not it's not a constant high. So all of these spiritual practices, technologies, okay, um, they bring you. Well, especially in the beginning of the of 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 your life as a practitioner, okay. You do a lot of effort and you do specific physical exercise or mental exercise or breathing exercise or you use psychedelics or you use, you know, doesn't matter, different kind of stimulations. So all of these stimulations that are done in different part of our, uh, let's say, body-mind continuum, they can bring about 
a certain moment of a transcendental experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what is important to understand is that the purpose of spiritual practice is not to be in a state of transcendence all the time. Okay. The transcendental experience is an important part that is that is hardwired us so that we need to have, but you need to understand that that's not the purpose, the goal of spirituality is not to be in the constant of transcendence. Uh-huh. The question is not so much what's the best way of transcendence, because the best way of transcendence is met in the anthropology of the world. You know, and, and there are few methods. It's always the same thing. Uh, prayers, physical, whatever movement or specific spe- physical stressor that lead to an hormetic response. Uh, you have breathing practices. You have psychedelics. I mean, you know, you have specific working with specific emotions. Or There are really few things that doesn't matter where you go in the world. Okay, the basic elements of the cake it's always the same, right? Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, you know, I was curious if I could find something different. Okay, well, that's something that has been overlooked. No. I can tell you that from China to India to Tibet to, to Southeast Asia, you know, whatever, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Pacific, uh, the Middle East, you know, whatever, uh, all the way to the South and Central American traditions, and even the little that I've explored of of the Australian native tradition, the elements are always the same, right? Uh Just that in different cultures, they are differently combined. And so, you know, you have some cultures, okay, let, let me, for example, do the example of China and India that are very physical. And so, States of, of, let's say, call them transcendence or state of superhuman performance or state of, of high are brought about by an intense work with the body. Okay, you think of all this internal power tradition in China or all the yoga, you know, traditions in India, right? Okay, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have traditions which are purely contemplative or, or 90% they only use, you know, mind and 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 whatever meditation and and then you have everything in between right okay mm-hmm. but again the elements are always the same and that's probably one thing that i discovered in my journey that every single culture that i went into and and i went you know for the for the high performers within the cultures you know even the people that could do miracles that could levitate that could set things on fire with the toad or or whatever, could do these amazing things. But ultimately, the tools that they have are always the same. There is nothing new, okay? And and there is no real deep, deep secret other than understanding how these different elements are combined and then baked together to a certain extent, right? And there is no, there is no, a cooking formula that is better than than a different cooking formula. It also boils down to personal like, to 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 uh, culture, to inclination, to constitution. Okay, and so you find people that work better with a certain combination of element elements and practices, more physical or more mental or more 
what I've received, okay, emotional or, or other people that work better with a, dif- with a different mix, okay? But what is important to understand is that the ultimate result, you know, when you have these extraordinary people like the Buddha or, or whatever, some of these great enlightened beings or these great saints, it's not that, oh, well, they had the secret sauce. No, you could you could have a completely different source that it will work very well. So what lead a person, okay, to that ultimate degree of becoming sort of an Olympian and an Olympic level achiever in this? It's not the specific formulation that he used of thirty percent physical, twenty percent mental. emotional and and whatever is it, okay? Because you could find a completely different combination of elements that work as well as, but that ultimate level of achievement that sort of bring about that state of liberation or enlightenment, it's actually beyond all of this, okay? So all of these practices... You asked me about the ultimate tool of spirituality or transcendence, the recent one. Okay. There are excellent systems, traditional systems, and, and they're all equally good. They all have equally the chance of producing incredible individuals. Okay. There are incredible philosophies, and each one of them is as good as. Okay. And then there are modern formulations where, you know, to a certain degree, the biohacker. And, you know, I logically also uh, um, 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 did it and do it. It's like, you know, constantly because after you have a thorough knowledge of the alphabet, of the mechanics, or let's call it of the, the laws of music, okay, you study counterpoint, you study harmony, Okay, well, then you can compose music because the notes speak to you, right? And so you have traditional systems and then you have also modern understanding of the systems. And, and, and sort of the biohacker is that, you know, it's, it's someone that, okay, I know how these and these combine. And if you combine them, you will have this result. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's for me evident. I, I know that if you combine this practice or this breathing or this psychedelics and this meditation, you will have this result. You just see it, you know it, because you know the structure, you know the logic, you know the mechanics, you know the alphabet, you know the laws of how these things work. The question is uh, how these then apply to the substrata of the individual differences, because I know how combining this practice, this movement, this breathing, this psychedelics, this mental image, this blah, 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 does, okay? But how do I apply to the specific substrata of the person, of the psychological condition of the person? That cannot be done or given on large scale because, you know, how that specific mix will work for you Okay, it's, it's uh, well, let's say that I can create a recipe that I can guarantee that will give certain results for everyone. Okay, yes, that's easy, all right. But then if we speak about, do you really wanna give a person the breakthrough, how they can move to the next level, 
Well, mm-hmm. then it has to be formulated for that person. I need to have a profiling of the person. I need to sit with the person. I need to be with the person. So there is an aspect that it's more than just techniques. There is, you know, the techniques, the perfect technique doesn't really exist. You have well-composed, well-produced, well-choreographed sadhanas, practices that work for everyone at a certain level. But then it's only the one-to-one interaction between teacher and student that can really bring the person to the next level or whatever it is that they are and they need to be. And so, you know, when I started my journey, there was no internet, there were no smartphones, there was no Google. There were even very little books about this knowledge. So if you want the knowledge, you had to go and sit with the shaman in the jungle or with the monk in the cave or with the yogi in the mountain and sit with them for like months or years. And that's what I did. And you get that knowledge by being with the person and the knowledge comes from the relationship with the person. It's not just, I give you this pranayama to do. It's much more than that. That's just 10%. The the real transformation happened between the interaction between teacher and student. Uh Is the psychology that that unfolds in between the psychodrama that the teacher creates for the student that triggers the growth is not the technique. And so when you ask me about the ultimate tool for, for, for transcendence or biohacking or spirituality, I say that there is a gross misunderstanding that it can be done by some amazing technique. No, the technique can be very good. Absolutely, it's important to have a good technique, but 70 to 80% of the work, of the transformation, of the secret source is the relationship that is established between the teacher and the student, is the psychodrama that the teacher creates for the student, is the transfer in a very Freudian sense that, that is established between teacher and student. That is what allows that superhuman transformation. That would allow a person to bloom okay, to his highest potential. And that you, you can't fake it. You cannot substitute it with just you know, an online course, an online seminar. All right. It is a personal relationship okay, that, that, that unfolds over years, not weeks, years. So that transformation, that, that the ultimate biohacking, it's human relationship. Mm. Okay, that happens over time. And there is no smart way to do it. There is no psychedelic that will cut it short. Beautiful. Well said. Bringing it down to the fundamental basics. I totally see it. And that interconnectedness is something that you have spoke to earlier with recognizing that not only between perhaps student and teacher, but also our connectedness to everything, our relationship to everything. I noticed you spoke to that as well. I think that's a really Really beautiful point. I've got a, one last question for you right off the cuff. You ready? Here's my question. I want you now to imagine such a thing that you're on the world stage and everyone, every soul, every being has got the opportunity to hear your message. What would What is your message to the world right now, David? Out of anything you could choose to say, what would you say? Love is the answer. And when love is really the answer, There are no questions. 
And this took me 30 years to understand. Love is the answer. And when love really becomes the answer, there are no questions. That is some deep philosophy, buddy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. As yeah. long as the answer is uh, power, practice, technique, chakra, psychedelic, transcendental, the cosmos, uh, the I don't know, whatever, okay? When you still think that that's, and those are the answers, there are still a lot of questions. Who am I? Where I go? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Is there a God? How do I connect with it? La, 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 la. Okay. Lots of answers, lots of questions. When love is the answer, there are no more questions. Well, there's no point. There's no point for words. The the feeling and the silence in itself speaks volumes. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for your time today, David. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for the no BS, straight down the line. Hey, here's what I've gotten from 30 years of traveling the world doing this. I think our listeners and viewers will really get a lot from this in terms of really reflecting and really feeling into is my, yeah, where can I take this path to be more love? I think this is really good. Where do people go to find out more about your work if they're interested, David? Well, again, I am actually retired from teaching. Uh, for many years. So I don't really run around the world running seminars and events or anything. If someone is very motivated, they can come and knock on my door and find me. <laughs> Let's say like this. <laughs> and then I will see, okay, <laughs> maybe <laughs> we will work together. Maybe not. I need to see the person. Okay. Um, well said, the real sir. relation is the relation that is established between teacher and student. And it can only be personal. So I'm available because for me at the moment is an hobby that I do when someone really come and knock on my door. Like I came knocking on the door of my teachers. I literally went there knocking, waiting. Okay. And if there is an affinity, huh? then the relation will bloom into something and then it will grow. That's what I think is the most important thing. But of course, I did, I created some online courses, techniques. Again, there is thousands of techniques out there. There is millions of, of online courses. So I know the limits of it. I just very honestly told everyone the limits of it. But there are these online courses. They are very good practices, very well choreographed, very effective. So if you want to wet your beak, so to speak, try some of these practices. They're very good. I don't know what that's this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all there. There is, you know, there is the website, there is the platforms, there is online courses. And, and again, it's like I've codified and, and scripted the and perfected many techniques and many practices, okay? I went through a phase of my life where I really was fascinated by the underlying algorithm of all these practices in different yeah. cultures. So I spent a lot of time comparing them, understanding the underlying structures, deconstructing them, re-engineering them back, 
to test if they would work. So I, I have a fairly comprehensive understanding of how all these practices and techniques work to trigger or to bring upon very specific results, okay? From psychic abilities to state of transcendences to state of, you know, bliss and, and so forth and so on, uh, enlightenment, illumination. Yes, okay, I went through the phase and um, I know what I'm talking about, that, that's for sure. You are interested in that? Please. It's good. Some of it, I just I just created few things, mostly something about breath work and something about some interesting approach to deep level meditations. So this I made, you know, public. But again, I insist that the real transformation, the real work, happen when a relationship is created. Okay? Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. David Verdesi, everybody, go check him out online if you're interested. I've done seen some of your work, and I think the practices as you speak about the frameworks are absolutely phenomenal, and then we should all discern which techniques work for us and you know how we can stay on the true path towards that, towards love. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us all the way from Monaco. Now, you know, you've got to go to Monaco if you, you've got to find this guy. And you've heard it here first. Thank you again. God bless you, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. And, and we're looking forward to chatting again. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to learn more about how to walk the quantum path into life mastery, business mastery, uh, if you want to learn more about our live events or coaching or anything that we offer, go to www drespen.com that's d-r-e-s-p-e-m.com or email info at drespen.com and let's find out how we can help you take your life your business and your mission to a whole another level we'll see you next time